Guys, I'm optimistic. I have fun watching a football game for the first time in a long time. Nate's smoking crack, guys. Just let's get easy. I forgot what an offense looked like. Scoring points. I mean, my lord. I think I think going into the game, uh USF USF's combined point total was fifty-eight and they gave up fifty-two to Notre Dame. So I mean Notre Dame was right in it combining every single point that USF has scored in the other game. So I mean putting up thirty seven is is a hell of an improvement. So yeah, welcome to the Blue Night Podcast. Your host, as always, Nathan Bond, alongside me flanked uh, by my A back, Seth Farnador, and my uh, backup right tackle, Robert Stee. Welcome to the T back for sure. <laughs> welcome to the show. How how are you guys doing? It's been it's been a week since we last spoke. How how are you guys feeling? How was your week? I'll let, uh, I'll let Seth, Seth start us off here. What's, what's, what's new with you, Seth? What's, what's, what's positive in the world? Oh, a beautiful week. Really uh, locking in on some end-of-quarter tax return stuff, so that's a lot of fun. So uh, it's been a while. It's been a real, I'm, I'm glad to talk about football, if, uh, if that's what you're wondering. Oh, wow. It's, it's what we've been looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to your insight on this because – Boy, did I really think at one point that USF was going to pull off my uh, my fifty-two to ten prediction. They had me going for a minute. I saw the Jim um, Jones dancing. It's it's going to happen one of these days, but no, it's been a, it's been a good week. I was I was very pleased with uh, with the USF game. I I made a little little quick little Twitter thread about it. Um, I, I was I, I wasn't actually expecting a win. Obviously, I think that's why everyone knows I'm predicting these stupid scores, but. I'm I'm pleased with a loss for once, which is not something that we should actually be saying, but here we are. I think, you know, with that, I think we just get right into the recap. Pleased with the loss, and it's it's refreshing to be upset about uh, a play call that basically cost us a game, right? That, that had not been the case in a very, very long time where, you know, one or two calls go a different way. And USF wins this game, so I mean, still a loss, but we're I think we're heading in the right direction here. Let's kind of get right into it. You guys want to talk about the two point play first or the timeout first? Uh, let's talk about the timeout first. Actually, yeah, let's talk about the timeout first because I have I have a question. I didn't. He, he never gave an explanation on it, did he? Uh, yeah, he basically said um, it, he said that the two point play was the game. Right. If they get it, great to go into overtime uh, and and play for overtime. But if they don't get it, then that's basically the game because you're going to have to onside kick and then hopefully get the stops. And then you've got to do all the crazy, you know, trickeration throwbacks from your, you know, worst case scenario inside your own three, blah, 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 blah. He just wanted to make sure the right play was called. Uh, this is where I slightly, extremely disagree here. But he's the coach. I'll ask Seth uh, after I give my explanation of why I think it was a asinine decision uh, by Jeff Scott. And you know, God love him. He, I'm, I was pissed. Charlie Strong didn't use the timeout, and I'm pissed that Jeff Scott used the timeout. So I guess that's progress. So Jordan McLeod uh, on that final drive leads the team down to score. Uh, Leo Parker. Punches it in 
Uh, they don't use any of their timeouts on that drive. That start, I think it started with like about four minutes left. They score with a little over a minute left in the game. They get the unfortunate timeout, pseudo timeout after Johnny Ford goes down. So you basically got an extra timeout to discuss. Uh, Seth, you've mentioned you know previously in, in Slack and probably uh, on the internet's uh, this over the last couple of days, you usually have on that, on that kind of drive, you have that two point play already picked in the back of your mind. You usually have, you know, when I was calling plays and stuff and it was kind of collaborative with the head coach, when we were going to a drive like that, we'd both be like, Hey, start thinking about your two point play now. And when I was coaching in college, our head coach, you know, uh, we were in overtime, and he's if he's like, if we score, we're going for two. Start thinking your two point play now, like when you started overtime. Have your two point play ready now. Figure it out now. So when the time to call it, you have it. So it's usually something that's not spur of the moment. Right. So you, know, you get the extra timeout. You score. Leo Parker scores, and then you call a timeout almost immediately <laughs> after the touchdown. All right. Well, that kind of ruins any shot that you have if you don't happen to get the two-point conversion to stop them and maybe have 25 to 40 seconds, depending on how quickly you stop them, right? It's very frustrating to, to see that. Uh, and and his, his reasoning for it, yeah, on the surface it makes sense, but when you have all three timeouts left in your back pocket, you can kick the ball off deep. You don't have to do the onside kick, right? I think it would, if you had all three timeouts, I think it would behoove you to kick it deep just in, just so you don't get pinned back. Right. So that it doesn't really sit well with me, but Seth, you, you mentioned it again, you know, go out there, see what the look is, then call it. If you're going to call a timeout, at least see what you get. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I mentioned that in my takeaways on Sunday that I do every week after the games, I think, you know, if you're, if you're not sure of a play, you know, go line up in something that you like. And then if you don't like to look, call a timeout. Because I think what may have happened, and just looking at the play now, especially when you motion, they motion the tight end over and try to run the same pin pull they scored on earlier in the game. They didn't motion to it the first time. But when you motion to it, you're bringing extra bodies over there. And, you know, they've got, Temple's got them outnumbered on that side of the center, basically, even though you're going to use the running back as a blocker. That might be a time where they, after they call the, they call the timeout, they put the play out there, and then they see what the defense lines up, and they might be like, "Oh crap, this is a bad look for that play." But you can't spend two on it now. You can't spend another timeout of the play. As important as it is, you have to at least leave yourself two. You know, uh, if you're not going to leave yourself three. So I, I think that might have been what happened. But if if you really want to call the timeout to make sure you have a good play, it probably would have been better to put something out there first and to see how they're going to line up to it and then call your timeout. Ideally, you have your play ready to go and you just go out and run it and you have your three timeouts, you can kick it deep. And then even if you and then if you get the two, you kick it deep and get stops, you might be able to chance to kick a field goal to win the game or something to that effect too. So it does kind of limit your possibilities when you use a timeout. I understand why he did it to get the play right, but you got to get the play right if you're going to use it. If he used it, if he used the timeout, and they scored a two-point conversion. We went to overtime. We'd all be talking about how smart it was that they got together, thought about the play, got the perfect play. But you can't come out of the timeout with that play. Question: Could um, could there also have been some some shadow of doubt with Johnny Ford, obviously having been injured? Could 
I mean, that happened could, what the, the yeah. play before they scored, right? Yeah. That's not giving you your offensive core. I mean, your offensive coordinator probably should have multiple plays lined up, but judging by, I mean, what I, what I was thinking of what they were going to do. And especially what I've seen this year from coach Jeff Scott and coach Charlie Weiss jr. Is, um, you know, they're not afraid to, to pull, pull a rabbit out of the hat. And, and so the immediate thought when I saw that they took the timeout and, and, and ran the play that they did was they probably didn't have a backup play if Johnny Ford was out. I think it's, the play is probably going to be to Johnny. It's possible, but you know, I, I don't know. And then you come out and you run a play that worked earlier, but you know they've seen it now. And then you're running it with the quarterback that okay, we all know he's going to run, and we've kind of got you outnumbered to the side you're looking to run it to. Even if you pull two guys, you know it, it's just a tough look. They got him early with it and tried to kind of go back to it. It may have been something where they're like, oh crap, we don't have a play. Um, you know, oh, we like this in the red zone. We like this on the goal line. This run, it worked earlier. Let's run it again. We kind of get caught up in the air, but but you, you took the time out. So you have some time to talk about it. And to come back with that play is a little tough. Again, if it worked, we all would be talking about how smart they were. Um, but it didn't work, and it wasn't a great play. I didn't think it gave you a lot of options. You know, you think it would be something where they could have a chance to throw the ball possibly off of it. If you want to do a quarterback run, Give him a chance to throw the ball if it breaks down to just go right with the you know the quarterback pin pull stuff. That's it was not the best call, I don't think. I think we can all all agree on that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I just I don't understand. Let me see. What I, I'm looking at the play chart right now. Okay, and the last time Noah Johnson was in the football game was at the very beginning of the fourth quarter. And it didn't go well. Uh, USF punted on that drive that he was he came in. So he basically sat on the bench for 12 minutes of game time, probably 20, 25, maybe even 30 minutes of real-time action. That's a long time to just be kind of waiting and waiting and waiting on the bench. And it, it just it strikes me as odd that to, to pull Jordan McLeod after basically leaning this team down um, converting with his legs on a third and eight and third and nine, getting 10 and nine respectively on those two downs to extend the drive, finding him, uh, I think it was Amari Dawson for 20 yards uh, to kind of help set them up. It just, it, it just seems like a weird, weird decision. And then again, as you mentioned, Seth, not even giving Noah Johnson a chance to throw the ball, running to your left. So you're going to have to throw across your body. If there was even an option there at, it just it didn't it just did not sit right with me. Yeah, yeah. As the play was developing, I'm like, okay, he's gonna throw it, right? And then he did not. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, so you know, and it's 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 all you know, it's always easier after the fact. But just like you you thought, okay, they're bringing him in. This is where you might slip a guy out. Like take Felix, maybe slip into the corner after he comes inside, like he's gonna pin. You know, and he probably would have been open. Slip into the corner, slip the tight end to the front pylon, you know. And then if the defense goes with them, Noah Johnson there can run it. But, <laughs> yeah, I think the I think the play call is really the more upsetting thing than the timeout. Because if it was a timeout and they came out and did something really creative and, you know, a guy dropped it or whatever, you could be like, okay, you know, that's a good timeout. I mean, they got the play they wanted, whatever. But when they come out and they lose four yards, you know, on a <laughs> – 
<laughs> then pull it to the short side of the field. Then you're kind of like, that time out was stupid. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, hopefully we'll hear from uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. on Wednesday to get a better answer on what what wins that decision, right? And and it, I think we, we said it on Twitter after the game, you know, it, it really sucks that, you know, we're going to discuss the timeout and the two-point conversion because the rest of the game was one of the best called games we've seen uh, Charlie Weiss have here at USF. I think yeah, I thought it was his best game by far since he's been here. And it shockingly coincides with only having to get one quarterback ready to play. It's funny how those kind of go together. Yeah, funny how the, that goes hand in hand. And uh, just the creativity of the play calling, there was a couple of great play actions that uh, just freed up the middle of the field for Mario Dallas and Bryce Miller. Like it just, Great play designs, um, pulling out some screens on second down that got Johnny Ford going early. That was huge. Uh, just, you know, the Jordan McLeod's never going to have the strongest arm, right? He, he's never no. going to have a Brett Favre type arm. That's just not going to be the skill set. But I think Jeff Scott acknowledges that shortcoming for Jordan McLeod is the, the, the deep balls. But 20 yards and in, that's that's him. He's got that all day. Right. And it showed up again, you know, last week, being able to move the sticks consistently. And it, it, it comes back to what Jeff Scott said a couple of weeks ago about, you know, just airmailing a ball on third and 11 with a guy wide open. You can't do that. And I, I referring to Kate Fortin uh, against uh, Cincinnati, I believe it's those kind of plays that have separated Jordan McLeod from the rest of the pack. Uh, you know, talking to some people this week, they've they've acknowledged that you know, K being out is hurt. Could Travis March be, being out has hurt, but you know, it's clear Jordan's the most accurate passer, and he's completing almost sixty five percent of his passes, and it's showing. So he's not hitting on the deep balls, but you got a couple of the the Joe Flacco esque defensive pass interference calls because that's that can happen sometimes, right? Yeah. And a good good effort job by the wide receiver to to make the refs make that call, right? Because if the wide receiver kind of gives up on the play or doesn't really care or try to attack the ball, no. the ref may not call it because you're not the defender's not fighting through any any uh, you know traffic from the the wide receiver. So it's progress and you know Jordan McLeod 15 to 26 182 yards, three touchdowns. He was sacked four times. But the, this story, uh, again, it, the three fumbles, um, I think officially they credited that last fumble to Kelly Joyner on, on the botched uh, mesh point. It, it was rough. It was rough. Four fumbles in uh, two games. He did recover Johnny Ford's fumble from earlier in the game. So maybe it you know negates one of the fumbles. But he, he's got to be able to hold on to the ball. And he knows that. He acknowledged that after the game that he just needs to hold on to it. The thing that, you know, we noticed basically right after it happened was that first fumble was a direct result of Jared Hoffel getting just smoked. Basically speed rush to the corner, got beat, strip sack, Temple recovers. Luckily, the defense holds up and only allows a field goal. But Jared Hoppel gets benched after that and does not play another down offensively. And Josh Blanchard, you know, struggled at times. So, you know, they've played all across the offensive line this year, but he looked pretty good at, at right tackle for the most part. I think the running game looked a lot better than it has. I think that may be your starting right tackle going forward unless 
he proves that he can't do the job. But I mean, Jared Hoffel's been here for three years, and it's kind of kind of shown that he he may not be ready for the for the job. Uh, you know, from from Jordan McLeod's perspective, what did you guys see watching watching the game live, watching it back? What what either stood out to you? What needs improvement that maybe we haven't touched on so far? I think there's a couple there's a couple plays I think he'd like to have back. One was that you know that throw he had to the tight end down the sideline ended up being a pass interference call. But if he puts it out a little bit in front of him, it's a touchdown, and then I think they end up fumbling a play or two later. So that wipes at least three points off the board there. And you end up, you know, losing by two. That's important. But I think for the most part, he's playing well. Obviously, the turnover's got to cut down. But he, for the most part, he's doing, he's doing a good job. They're doing a good job of kind of giving him the stuff he's good at. Like you said, more like, you know, 15 and in, 20 and in. They're, you know, on third downs, they didn't just hold seven guys in. They actually released all five guys out. That first, um, uh, I think it was third down that Bryce Miller had the really long running catch on. It's just a mesh concept, which is great blitz beater because it's a man beater. And your tight end just kind of foolishly picks when he doesn't need to. And if he would have just got out of the way, you had a huge play to open the game uh, on your first drive. So I think they're they're kind of getting, and that's part of, okay, let's do a game plan for Jordan. We don't have to do a game plan for Jordan and Noah and Travis and Kate. It's just, okay, what's our starting quarterback? What's he best at? What does he like? Let's do that. So that's kind of part of it too. And um, I think this week will be a really good test to see where they're at because this is a good defense coming in. And you've got Jordan with a couple of good games under his belt in a row. And this, I think this will be a good week to see exactly how far they've grown since like Cincinnati. Yeah. And and I think to me, at least it, it, it kind of came down to the, progress you made from the ECU game to, to this game. It's, it seemed like there wasn't much panic um, being down 10, nothing early, you know, and when we got, when the game kind of got out of hand against ECU was very quickly when it was um, I believe it was 17, seven, it seemed like the game was completely out of hand at that point. It seemed like the offense just was not going to mesh well. And despite a few good drives here and there, just, it seemed like there was a lack of, of just, passion and, and push by the offense. Um, but we didn't quite see that against a temple. Um, you know, I, I think Jeff Scott knows how to talk to these players and knows how to coach them up. Um, and especially after getting, getting walloped by ECU, you know, a way to talk up your guys, you know, Hey, we're down to nothing. You know, it's only been about five minutes. There's still plenty of time for us to get back in this game. And for them to take the lead the way that they did kind of commanding back into the lead, I thought was more important to this game than anything else. Um, that shows just kind of where this team's at as far as what Jeff Scott is bringing into the culture rather than, you know, what you can judge as far as what the players are doing or, or what the play calling kind of looks like. Um, Cause that's going to have a bigger effect on the line rather than, you know, some of the uh, a failed two point conversion and, you know, called bad timeout. Um, this culture that Jeff Scott's in, in putting ingraining into this offense and the defense as well. Um, I think it's just going to pay its dividends later down the line. See, you you mentioned uh, the culture building, and that was something that uh, Jeff Scott harped on Tuesday during his press conference was the difference between last week being down 24-7 at ECU and being down 10 nothing uh, within the first seven or eight minutes of the game against Temple is uh, the attitude difference. He said he was really disappointed with how the team kind of stopped caring 
uh, versus ECU. Um, you know, paraphrasing here, uh, but he didn't like the, the emotion uh, or lack of emotion after uh, going down twenty four seven. He didn't see that against Temple, which is again another step in the right direction for this program. And you got to get they they kept fighting. Uh, I don't think that that you know uh, they're, they're saying you know the defense just didn't have their fastball going uh, versus Temple, and it, it's been. Something that we're, 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 we'll discuss here uh, shortly. What what makes me a little nervous, though, coming off this game is that they the offense scored well, but they didn't, you know, the, I think the, they've scored so well it kind of covered up some other issues. They only averaged 4.4 yards of play, which is below their season average. So they weren't moving the ball up and down the field. They got some good field position from the special teams with some really good timely kickoff returns. I think on three or four of their scoring drives, they had the ball in Temple territory when they started the drive. Uh, but they did a better job of finishing. They hadn't finished yet. So was, it's good to see them finish. But I'm still a little bit worried about that 4.4 yards per play. They still only went 4-12 on third down. He had three turnovers. And then over half your yards were on your two long touchdown drives. So you had like 167 yards on your two long drives and then only 157 the rest of the game. So I think this week's a really good test to see, are they making strides or did they just kind of catch a couple, um, you know, take advantage of some good situations last week? Hey, absolutely. And, you know, there's no sugarcoating it. You know, USF got really lucky. I think I'm looking here, uh, five touchdown drives, um, I believe three started uh, inside Temple territory, Temple 49, uh, Temple 35, and Temple 46. And then uh, the field goal actually started from the Temple 10 after the uh, the interception. Uh, but what's really nice uh, to hear, you know, on the flip side of that is the two long scoring drives. USF yeah. starting in, inside their own five, punching it in 10 plays, 95 yards for a score. And then the final drive of the game, starting yeah, at their, their 28 and punching it in 12 plays, 72 yards. When you really needed it, they came through. So Right. And it was interesting. Uh, they, you know, with four minutes left in the game, they were still confident enough to run the ball when they wanted to. Um, I think I think Jordan McLeod only threw the ball like two or three times on the drive, but uh, one was the, the big gainer to Amario Dawson. Great scheme right there roll out, right, you get your guys, and it's just a crossing route to the sideline, and he puts it right on them uh, to get out of bounds. And those are the things you're going to you're gonna see start improving. I don't think we'll see, it, you know, arm strength improve this year, but he has put on quite a bit of weight, and he's has gotten stronger. But he's also – he's a redshirt sophomore now. He still has th- – he still technically has three years left with this free year. So, I mean, we could – continue to see Jordan McLeod uh, here in the future. I know I, I've defended him quite a bit, but I, I think we all know his limitations. He's not going to be the guy who just kind of slings it. If Quentin Flowers had Jordan's accuracy with, within 20, 20 yards, Quentin Flowers would be a starting quarterback in the NFL. No doubt in my mind. He had the arm, the the athleticism, the skill set. He just, it was those, he would hit the bombs and then could not hit an 11 yard dig route. And that's where Jordan McLeod is. And, I will. I love Quentin Flowers, but that that's what he struggled with, and it's just we're getting a different kind of quarterback here, right? A little more methodical, and that's fine as long as you score points. 
I want to move on here. Uh, I think this was Johnny Ford's breakout game. Um, you know, he, he got the injury scare late in the game, but he was practicing today. Uh, felt good enough to not uh, get his ankle taped up. And the coach just said, huh, go get your ankle taped up. Uh, what are you doing? So good to hear. I think he had over 200 yards of all purpose yards between rushing, receiving and kickoff returns. He is the, he is the, the guy who stirs the drink on this offense and the maturity of him from you know the first two years to now is uh, incredible. Seth, what have you seen from Johnny Ford so far this year? And, and, you know, a couple of things that maybe stood out this week for you. Well, I mean, he's a guy that was obviously sorely missed last season with, when he got uh, his long suspension or whatever it was. And he's kind of put himself back on the map this year. He's running really hard. He's obviously got some explosiveness. I don't think he's like the fastest guy for long stretches, but in that first 10, 20 yards, it's these, you know, there's, there's nobody that can catch him. He's very quick, uh, very good short area burst. And I think he's running really hard too. He's not just kind of scatting around. He's, he's hitting all he's, and he's uh, contributing to the passing game as well. And I think that's probably where you'll see even more as they go on. I would still like to see some, if they're going to bring Joyner in the tailback, put forward out receiver. I'd still like to see some more of that. Keep him on the field as much as possible. Give him as many touches as possible because he is the guy that makes things go and he's the guy that scares the defenses the most. So I'd want that guy on the field as much as possible. Steve, anything to add there? No, I think I think it's pretty obvious that if for USF to be successful, Johnny Ford needs to touch the ball as as humanly possible as, as much as he can. You know, whether he's lining up for kick returns. Um, running, lining up in the backfield or, or lining up as wide receiver. Um, it, it definitely requires your, uh, your opposing coaches to take note of that. Um, and we've seen it, uh, against CCU when they started pooch kicking to, um, to Johnny or to the, um, kickoff return team instead of kicking it to Johnny. Um, and then, you know, we see it against almost everyone else. You got to put a dedicated guy on him almost every single game. Um, and I don't think there's many guys that can match his, his speed and his quickness. So. Um, but I'm also excited to see how, uh, you know, when the eyes are taken to Johnny, how these other running backs or how these other wide receivers can, can start to, you know, start making separation themselves. You know, we heard this week that Jacquez Evans was switching to running back and he had his first career carry as a running back um, against Temple. So he's another one of those guys that, shoot, you put Kelly Joyner and Jacquez Evans and Johnny Ford back in a in kind of like a diamond formation in the uh, backfield. I mean that that's so reminiscent of how dangerous it was uh, back when we had Deanna Johnson, Darius Tyson, Marlon Mack, just as far as what we know that they can do. So I'm just kind of excited to see how, how we use Johnny and then how I see other defense coordinators try to match up Johnny. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting task this week against Tulsa, not to segue too much. Um, obviously Tulsa has uh, one of the best linebackers in the country is Zach Collins. So, you know, are they going to put Zach Collins on or are they going to try to bump him out into um you know, get physical with them, or are they going to try to put a, a speedy corner safety on him to try to keep up with, uh, with what he can do? It'll be a, I think it'll be fun to watch. It's a nice little chess match. Absolutely. Um, and it, it, real quick, uh, Johnny Ford, uh, leads the team, uh, in carries and rushing yards with, uh, 47 and then 265, uh, rushing yards. He's tied with Noah Johnson for the team high with uh, three rushing touchdowns and he's second on the team in catches. Uh, and, fourth in yards with 126 and in a score 
Uh, he, he's a do-it-all guy. He's he's going to break one of these kickoff returns eventually. Like there, that it's there, and he he loves taking up the left side of the the return. Um, so I would expect I would expect that's where it kind of pops there. Let's see. I, I do want to shout out the wide receivers real quick, um, and not for you know their their pass catching skills, which has been phenomenal over the last couple of games. I think they've really found their on their zone. Um, you know, the first two games they could not get open to save their life, and they're starting to make uh, headway in that in that regard. But the thing that really stood out to me watching the game back was their downfield blocking, especially you know, early in the game. Bryce Miller gets that huge huge gainer. And he takes it, you know, up the left side, and then he actually cuts back to the right and gets it, I think, inside the five before the penalty kind of wipes everything away. But you see, I think it's Devontae Dukes and and Kelly Joyner as well. Trey Williams is down there trying – is running around too. Right. It, it, and they're blocking 30 yards downfield, and they're locking up their dude. The, the, guy's, not getting, the guy's not getting disengaged. And it, it was kind of a reoccurring theme um, – Throughout the game, I think on Johnny Ford's long, uh, I think it was like third and long, and Jordan McLeod just kind of dumps it off to him, and Devontae Dukes kind of seals the edge for him to get the first down and some extra yards. You know, it, that's kind of been the theme. These big body guys have been able to uh, stay on blocks and, and get downfield and get those extra yards for their teammates, and it, it's something that's really kind of improved over the last couple of years. It's something we saw with you know Tyree McCants, Rodney Adams, MVS over the last few years being able to block efficiently downfield. So it's nice to see that start coming back as well. And then uh, on the flip side here, guys, defensively, are we good? I don't think we're good on defense. I, I don't, I honestly, God do not think we're good on defense. And I mean, Anthony Russo kind of lit USF up for some yards. Um, the three wide receivers that we highlighted in the podcast and the preview and, and everything else last week, uh, kind of popped off. Let me get their uh, official stats here because it, it's pretty dang impressive what they did uh, against USF. Uh, Randall Jones, um, he's, he was the third guy that we mentioned. He's not even their top guy. Uh, eight eight receptions, 81 yards, one touchdown. Uh, the one that put them up to 39-31. Uh, uh, Jaden Blue had nine receptions, 60 yards, mm-hmm. two scores. He had the pop pass on the first touchdown and then um, just absolutely worked over Nick Roberts on the second touchdown. And then Brandon Mack had the quietest game of them all. Three catches, 29 yards, but he also scored a touchdown. So those the three guys that we warned everyone about still had a very efficient game. What, 20 catches between them, trying to do quick math, 100, 170 yards and four scores. Not ideal. So less than ideal against, uh, you know, hashtag no fly zone. Apparently the, the strongest part of the USF defense just kind of got lit up by the top three guys. Uh, Daquan Evans um, got a lot of run this week with the, the way Temple kind of set up. KJ Sales, Mike Hampton had a brutal game. Nick Roberts had an interesting game, uh, to say the least. Uh, Mikhail LaPointe. Great to have him back again. He looked pretty good. Brock Nichols again, pretty pretty good uh, as a, as a walk on. He's pretty good. Pretty sure tackler, and uh, you know on the on one of Jaden Blue's uh, touchdowns. Um, you know, it's third and two. USF calls a timeout. Uh, at that point, Nick Roberts had gotten uh, juked out of his sneakers twice. 
tapped out for a breather, then Brock Nichols makes a tackle on second and four or something like that to bring up third and two. USF calls a timeout. Nick Roberts comes back in. Temple gets the first down, and then another play later, Nick Roberts gets beat for the touchdown. Um, and this is not going to be this is not going to be fun this week uh, against a, another a, a much better quarterback, and maybe not as skilled wide receivers, but still They're pretty good too. Top dude, um, and uh, I think his name's Porter, if I'm not mistaken. They have three. Uh, they have three, three, they have three pretty good ones. Two. 13, nine. Yeah. They're all pretty good players. So it, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. And the thing that kind of stood out to me, I don't know if you guys noticed, USF didn't blitz often. They really like rushed three, dropped and played a lot of zone against Temple. Was that, is that, do you think that was the, I mean, obviously it wasn't really the right call, but what, what did you think of, uh, you know, the team running zone? as much as they did, or at least, you know, not blitzing and not pressuring Anthony Russo as much as they did. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the process of rewatching it. So I haven't um, watched it too heavily, but I thought they would be um, more aggressive. And I think they're better when they're more aggressive, but I'm sure they have reasons. The numbers weren't terrible on the day for the defense. There was a couple that were really bad. Uh, but they're only giving up 4.9 yards of play, which is under, which is like a yard and a half less than Temple gaining its Navy's defense. Uh, they did cause the two turnovers, uh, but Temple, their average starting field position was their own 40 due to turnovers and a couple bad punts, which were the only bad thing the special teams did all day. And then the Temple went 9 to 17 on third down, which that's to me is the thing that the defense will play great on first and second down and then third down and Temple, it was, I think the average was like seven yards to go on third or 6.2, I'm sorry, yards to go on third down. So it's not like it was a bunch of third shorts. Their average yard of the game was 6.2 and they were nine to 17. If you can't get off the field on third down, that leads to you getting tired. That could lead to you having to play more zone because you don't want to wear dudes out chasing guys all over the field. You're not going to blitz as much. Um, you might want to keep stuff in front of you and just rally and tackle. So it could contribute to a lot of different things um, if you're not getting home on third down and getting off the field. So that's, I think, that's got to be something they fix, and it hasn't been fixed the last, like, two two years plus. Right, and yeah, to, to your point there, 9-17, uh, and that final failed uh, third down was on the final drive of the game. They, they went 5-6 of six, uh, in the fourth quarter when it mattered, I guess, um, is how you would – call it so you know, that, that they're they're icing uh of of the game with that final touchdown they uh, were moved the ball down effectively and efficiently uh, on third down there which is again continues to be just a very frustrating uh endeavor for this team and i i, I just don't understand there's talent there there's talent at the corner position and it, it's just it's not clicking i don't know if these guys are just uh, overmatched because for some reason this conference continually always has really good wide receivers uh, but it, it's you know on third and five playing 10 yards off the ball those kind of instances where i'm just like what why why are we 10 yards off the ball and then waiting for them to hit the sticks and turn around get the ball and then you go but 
I, I am no coach. I just, I know what I see and it doesn't scream uh, aggressive. Uh, and it, it's strange to me. I don't think USF blitz six people ever versus temple. And if they need to create more havoc plays three sacks on the year, Antonio Greer, who's going to miss the first half of the Tulsa game due to that, uh, just god awful targeting call. Um, he leads the team. He has all three sacks for the team, and it's just another issue of these these defensive ends. They're they're not getting any push. They're not getting penetration. They're not creating havoc, and that that'll eat up your secondary pretty pretty well. Um, if if you're not getting pressure with the guys, if you have to bring extra guys and you're not getting pressure, um, it, it's really tough to be effective and have success long term. Uh, I think uh, I think we're seeing why recruiting wise they went very defensive heavy uh, for this recruiting class. Uh, I I believe they have twelve guys committed on the defensive side of the ball. No, they have ten guys. Excuse me, um, committed on the defensive side of the ball, and I think it's very obvious the reason why. Um, and you and you look at kind of the trends there. They have three or excuse me, four defensive linemen, two linebackers, and four defensive backs. Um, you can basically create a very new defense next year um, sans two or three players. So um, I think you're kind of seeing what the coaching staff saw coming into this year and how they're going to address it coming into next year. Um, you know, I think they kind of realized, Hey, we kind of don't have much as far as defensive line goes. That's why you brought in a guy like Ted Mangum. Um, and then as far as linebacker goes, having Devin Gill opt out obviously was not ideal, but you know, you still do get Dwayne Bowles and, and Antonio Greer who have been playing very well this year when they are both healthy and able to play. And then as far as your secondary goes, it's been obviously and honestly the most disappointing part of this year. Um, we said it before the season that we were really looking at the secondary to lead this defense. And I believe it was Seth who said, I'm worried that they're going to not play well this year because we have all eyes on them. And now it seems like that's happened. I think you kind of got to shake up the secondary a little bit. I think you got some good young guys in there. I think Chris Townsell's obviously a good young talent. Uh, Daquan Evans is found a way to get almost any interception that he possibly can. Same thing with Mikhail Point, And I think you guys, you got to start shifting guys around on that secondary and some more frequently. Um, it's clear that, you know, they're, they're getting gas and they're getting tired from watching the film. So I, it's a, it seems like it's a quick uh, answer and quick and easy answer, but obviously Clint Spencer knows a little bit more than we do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, USF has 22 tackles for loss on the year, three sacks. Uh, opponents have 49 tackles for loss, 17 sacks on the year. Uh, and those those havoc plays, getting you behind the chains is is going to be key here uh, against well, good wait, offenses. What, what do they have against us? 44 sacks and 17, 17 sacks? sacks. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Seven, 17 Holy sacks. Uh, and then 49 tackles for loss. That's like an entire season's worth. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean it's. I mean, it's been bad for a while. This offense line's been brutal for a long time, guys. We're finally seeing the fruits of the labor of just being ass. Um, looking at the the tackles for loss, I think only half, one half of a tackle for loss is credited to a defensive end, Jason Vaughn. The others are interior guys. That's not going to cut it, folks. That's not going to do it. You need these guys to create havoc off the edge. Otherwise you can, you're going to see these quarterbacks just sit and wait for someone to eventually get open. 
because there's not there's no such clearly there's no such thing as a coverage sack with this USF defense. So I think what's funny, I think the thing is they're actually not. It's weird because the way they're lined up and the way they're playing is not indicative of obviously they'd love for those three down linemen to get sacks, but when they're lining them up in the tighter stuff, those aren't, those guys are going to kind of eat up blocks and you want other guys to come in, but then they're not bringing pressure. So it's kind of, you know, it could be, they're just, you know, constantly having to shuffle new guys in. And maybe now that you've got like your two linebackers, once now we got the targeting, which was the one of the worst targeting calls I've ever seen. Now you got, uh, when you have both those guys back, maybe you'll start to mix in more pressure stuff. Maybe. Um, but, but it just doesn't seem like they want, they don't, they're not, those guys aren't like pass rushers. They're kind of there to hold, plug up blocks, plug up gaps, and let the linebackers roam free over the top, which I'm sure it's what they want, but they haven't had those linebackers. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And I'm just looking, man. Uh, Poor Andrew Mims got eaten alive against Temple on a couple of plays after he came back, after he came in for Antonio Greer. There were a couple of times Temple gashed the USF defense, uh, basically running right at Mims, and he just got completely taken out of the play. And uh, Murray's Bellamy, he there's talent there, but he he's not quite there uh, schematically to maintain uh, gap integrity defensively as a linebacker. I, I hope we see a little bit more pressure going forward with some of these guys getting back, but the lack of pressure and lack of blitzing by the defense really stood out to me this week. And I, I hope it changes. Um, you know, we're, we're halfway through the year guys, right? You know, we don't know if that FAU game is going to get rescheduled. We're halfway through the year. We're starting to become, you know, this is kind of who you are at this point. There's a lot of film on you and not as much of film on some other these some other teams that you're going to be playing here soon. So you're going to have to start switching things up and getting some guys back and being a little bit more creative uh, schematically going forward here. With that, let's uh, turn our attention to Tulsa. The, the Golden Hurricane. Um if you guys uh, haven't listened to it already, uh, our Robert Steig was on the Golden Hurricast earlier this week, uh, talking to, I would assume, the only Tulsa fans uh, in the country. Um, so I actually got followed by one more. So there's three. There's three. As, my, as, as far as I know, there's three. <laughs> three Tulsa fans, um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, depending on what time the game is, they're probably Oklahoma fans. And that's fine because we have the same thing, just depending on, on you know, we, we've got a lot of uh, Sooner hur- hur- Golden Hurricanes. Is that what they – Bull Gator? So Sooner – maybe Sooner Cane. Yeah, Sooner Cane. Man, welcome to Tulsa here, folks. Let's take a gander at Tulsa real quick. Very interesting team they've got here. Uh, head coach Phil Montgomery, also known as Diet Lemon Booty. Tulsa's one and one this year. Uh, they played Oklahoma State very, very close. Uh, I think they lost, oh, goodness gracious, uh, 16 to 7. And probably one of the uglier first games of the year you'll see um, back a little over a month ago. Um, they've had like six games canceled. They had their October 3rd game uh, get canceled due to uh, COVID at Cincinnati, I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken. USF is 3 0 against uh, Tulsa all time. 
last time was at our watch party two years ago uh, when Dylan Moody showed his ass and somehow blew, I think it was like an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter. Kobe Weiss kicks the game-winning field goal. USF wins 25-24. It was, I believe that was the last time USF won a game on national television on ESPN. Um, USF is 0 and I think 0 for the last four on ESPN, um, including 0 and 3 last year. So there's a lot to, to go off of. Uh, Phil Montgomery, 26 and 38 in six years at, at, at Tulsa. It's amazing. He still has a job. So dear Lord. But the, the key thing here, they beat uh, Central Florida a couple weeks ago. Um, Central Florida committed 18 penalties on their way to shooting themselves in the foot and blowing a 16 nothing lead and a 25 2 lead, I believe, or 25 6 or something like that. I think it was 20, no, 25 5 or something. Something stupid that they blew the lead in the fourth quarter. Shout out, uh, big old plate of donuts, Josh Heupel, for that. Real interesting stat. Tulsa has not won back to back games since 2016. This team has been bad for a very long time. In 2016, I think they went 10 and 3. Uh, with I think it was Dane Evans was the quarterback, and I remember I think USF played played them that year, and it was a shootout if I'm not mistaken. And Tyree McCants was on Twitter at halftime, just liking tweets that had his name in it. So I, I remember that and being very nervous uh, about that entire situation, that entire game. Let's see, let's go talk to quarterback. Quarterback's really really good. He's a Baylor transfer. Um, last two years. At Tulsa, I think he threw for 3,200 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Zach Smith, right? Zach Smith, yeah. Uh-huh. Look at that. Very generic, generic white guy. Very, name. very Zach generic Smith. white guy name. Uh, he's completing 61% of his passes, uh, four touchdowns this year. He was 17 to 29 for 273 and three scores against UCF in the comeback. Um, the thing that has kind of plagued Tulsa so far has been the first quarter of games. They've been just historically butt. You know, in the first quarter against uh, Oklahoma State and and UCF, but finally, you know, started clicking as the game went along. But this guy's really good, Seth. What what makes him maybe maybe one of the better quarterbacks in this conference? Well, they're not afraid. They got some good receivers. They do some interesting stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff to beat man coverage, and they're not afraid to take shots down the field. He's got a really strong arm. And their offensive line is protected him pretty well in what I've seen. Uh, I know they, uh, listening to Stieg on the old podcast there, that they had the lineman opt out, but they had like 48 starts before that opt out returning on the offensive line. They actually had the fourth most returning production of anybody in the country. So you thought their offense was going to be pretty good or at least improve. Um, but their defense is what I think is the real story with them. They are really, really good on defense. But the quarterback is a big dude with a really strong arm, and he can make pretty much any throw. Absolutely. And it hit one of Zach Smith's uh, favorite targets is uh, Keelan uh, Stokes. Uh, has a, a, he's coming up on 2,000 career receiving yards. He had uh, 1,100 yards last year, uh, and he's, he's the go-to guy. Uh, for Zach Smith in that Tulsa offense. So, again, we we highlighted the three wide receivers versus versus Temple. He's going to be another guy that we, we need to be worried about. The unfortunate thing for Temple, as you mentioned, the offensive lineman opting out and also 
running back Samari Brooks towards ACL uh, prior to the season starting. And he was, I mean, he was one of the top running backs in the, in the country. Uh, definitely one of the top ones in the conference. And uh, I think he, he's, I think he may not come back. Uh, he, if not, he finished with exactly 2,700 yards rushing uh, for his career at Tulsa. Uh, just behind uh, D'Angelo Brewer, if you guys remember him. Brooks and Brewer were actually teammates that 2017 year and really uh, made things very interesting for opposing teams uh, over the last couple of years. So uh, something to really watch out for. Um, you know, in, in their stead, they've got a they've got a couple of bodies. I, don't, I, I apologize if I mispronounced your name. Uh, Daneric Prince. Uh, so stop listening now. Yeah, I know. Um, averaging uh, just under six yards per carry through two games, um, had 82 yards against uh, Oklahoma State, and then uh, had 41 versus UCF, returned a couple of kicks for 40 yards. He's a Texas A&M transfer. Corey Taylor, he has 1,500 yards and 33 career games, 22 uh, career rushing touchdowns. He had just another, another body for this offense and again this offense is going to be pretty good and they that deep i think we can kind of just start with the defense here you mentioned that uh saving collins i believe this is his name the the stud linebacker he was he was called out by jeff scott on tuesday at, at his press conference saying this is the guy who uh everyone needs to worry about i think he has over 200 uh career tackles so far and oh man, there are some really good stats. Um, let me look it up. Listen, he's listed at 6'4, 260, and he can run. If he's really 6'4, 260, he will be an NFL draft pick next year because he can run and he will hit you. They have they're they have a couple good linebackers, and then they're really long in the back end. They have a lot of tall defensive backs, and they're aggressive and they use their link to get up in your face, so they'll go nose to nose with you. And They'll ride you out of bounds. They're really physical in defense. I think this is going to be a really good test for USF because this is a unlike USF's defense. This is a defense that can get pressure with three guys. There's some big dudes up front. Number ninety is Jackson Player. He's a dude that uh, ate UCF's lunch in their game. They have a couple other interesting guys they'll bring in the Russian passer. They they have a tough defense. I believe. So SP plus Bill Conley's ranking, right? A lot of it is based on preseason stuff. A lot of the early numbers. If he took out, he put out recently, if he took out the preseason numbers and the projections and just did it off what people, what uh, your performances you played, uh, Tulsa would be like a top five defense by his metrics. Now they played Oklahoma state who had a backup quarterback so there, but then they held UCF under six yards per play. I think it was like 5.3 and they've been over seven in every other game. So we saw that Memphis game. We all saw that Memphis yes. game. They were over uh, eight against Memphis. They were one passing yards. By yeah, it was like 7.1 yards of play against Georgia Tech, over seven against ECU, and then 5.3 against Tulsa, and then over eight against Memphis. So their defense is for real, I think. And they're they're like kind of this how the Seahawks used to play. They're gonna get up in your shirt and make the ref call interference, but they're just gonna keep doing it. They're not gonna call interference every play. So they're just gonna be up on you and make the ref make a decision. Against UCF, 
that cost them a couple of pass interference calls, but it also got them a tip drill interception in the game as well. Yep. And it, too, I mean, Xavier Collins is just an absolute freak of nature. He had six tackles against Oklahoma State, four tackles for loss, and three sacks. And then he just upped the ante against UCF with 10 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, a pick, two pass breakups, and in uh, the safety. Uh, he was the he was crowned the conference player, a uh, defensive player of the week. The dude is incredible. 97 tackles last year, uh, eight tackles for loss. He's he he's a freaking dude. And this off the USF's offensive line, the running backs are gonna have to go up against this dude. And man, it, I I worry about five five Johnny Ford going up against six four two sixty. It's insane. This guy's too sick. He can run. You'll see like in the uh, in the uh, the preview with the film, this dude can run. And so, uh, so can the other linebackers they have. They play like a three, four, they're always three down linemen. Yeah. Uh, but they got some big thick dudes that linebacker that can run. The other linebackers like uh six, two, two thirty four, uh, Justin Wright was 30. They have mm-hmm. another linebacker, number 11. Um, that's a little bit, he's more like a, he's a smaller guy, but he still weighs like 225, but he can run a little bit. So they're, they're, they're big. And what's interesting is they didn't, according to the returning production metrics, they were like in the 120s, they only returned like four starters. So they got a lot of guys that can play and they've got a system that suits their guys with a lot of length and size. And just looking like they, Tulsa is kind of, broken down their depth chart and given fun facts about almost every player. And you're just seeing, uh, I mean, has played in 36 career games with 18 starts, uh, has played in 40 games, uh, 14, 14 career games, uh, has 58 career tackles in 14 games uh, by a safety, 26 career games, seven starts. I mean, this team, as you mentioned earlier, fourth in returning, fourth in the nation in returning production. I mean, these dudes are – Upper classmen, they've they've had the, the experience. They've they've seen things. Uh, their nickel safety, uh, Christian Williams, he's a senior. Forty-one uh, games, eighteen starts, one hundred thirty-seven career tackles, uh, seven pass breakups. I mean, yeah, he had seven tackles against UCF. It's just down the line. This offense, if USF's offense is really, you know, I won't say is improved, but if they're going to show improvement, you know, from week to week. They need to show that they can compete against one of the better defenses in the conference. And I think this may be the best defense that, that you see uh, all year outside of maybe Notre Dame. This is it. This is, this is the game you want to prove to people that you're improving and that you want, you don't want to be the laughing stock of the country uh, of the conference anymore. You put a scare into Tulsa after Tulsa goes down and beats your rival. It, it's only apt that USF obviously just blows the doors off Tulsa uh, just for, for comedy's sake. Um, and, you know, I said, I sent the tweet out uh, early, early Tuesday, but yeah, I was watching the film on Monday night and man, I think USF's going to uh, beat the brakes off Tulsa. And then I started prepping for the podcast and reading a lot more about Tulsa and, and more and more. I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm not nearly as confident. I'm not nearly as confident as I was, you know, maybe six hours ago. It's going to be a fun game. I, I'm excited. Uh, the things to look forward to. I, I want to see USF sustain drives again. You know, the two long, the two long touchdown drives that they had. I want to see more of that 
hopefully they can do that um, and add in some more quick strike, uh, you know, scores uh, for this uh, offense. Uh, what does USF have to do to win this game? Let's start with Steve here. Oh, well, a few things. Um, I, I think you have to start getting out, getting out of the gates early. Um, I, you obviously Tulsa hasn't played in, I think two weeks now. Um, if I'm doing my math correctly, um, haven't really played much this season. And as you mentioned earlier, they struggle, um, in the first quarter normally. So this is one of those times that you need to come out of the gates. You need to get a lead, whether it's, you know, after the first quarter, whether it's seven, nothing, three, nothing, whatever you, you gotta, you gotta take a lead first. You gotta draw first blood. You have to probably force, uh, Zach Smith to, uh, to make indecisive decisions, whether or not you, you go into that zone or whether or not you're kind of prepping for, for that. Um, he is pretty talented, but you know, these guys can also make mistakes for, um, for all intents and purposes. I know that, um, last year he kind of was, was kind of streaky at times. So, you know, between throwing interceptions, um, you know, not seeing the entire field at times secondaries, this is the game that the secondary has to say, okay, yes, we are the leader of the team. We can play well. You have an opportunity to do that and you have an opportunity to really prove out to people. Um, and then the last thing you have to win the turnover battle. We can't have Jordan McLeod fumble three times. You know, he's, he seems pretty good in, as making decisions as far as not throwing interceptions and not trying to force those. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta create as many turnovers as you possibly can get pressure on a Zach Smith, get pressure on uh, TK Wilkerson and Eric Prince and, and somehow find a way to create inoperable um, situations for them. Uh, you're going to need a perfect game. We almost had a perfect game last week. Uh, I think they can probably manage something again, but I'm not very confident. Yeah, I think uh, just watching them play, um, I think you have to try to – their big throws are when the quarterback's able to sit and kind of let stuff develop. When people brought pressure, uh, he's thrown the ball early and thrown interceptions – He's fumbled the ball a couple of times. He's made bad reads on read option stuff and got tackled for a safety or pretty close to it. So I think you got to be aggressive and bring pressure on defense and try to get the ball out of his hands quickly or force him into tough decisions or get him on the ground. Offensively, um, I think you got to get ready to do misdirection, uh, maybe and do some stuff to give your receivers some easy releases because those corners are going to be up in their face. So maybe you do the old, you know, stack the receivers or motion a guy in short motion just to get him a free release. And um, I'd like, you know, I think the the group they're starting to go with at receiver, um, I like that you saw more Homerian Dollison last week. I think that's something we've been talking about since game one. Just see him out there. He's just an explosive guy. You're going to need that. Uh, Latrell Williams playing well. Um, they did a good job uh, putting St. Felix in the situations he thrives in and, uh, and, and Dukes as well. Uh, so, but I think misdirection, you, you're not going to actually able to line up and run the ball at him. And I think it's going to be tough just to line up and conventionally just try to drop back and throw it to you. You're going to have to do some different things because this defense is pretty good. And they'll sit back and make you hit throws. And then the very next play, they'll bring five dudes and screw up your protection. So it's going to be a tough test. I think if, if, if the offense plays well in this game, you know, if they, if they come again and they're scoring in the thirties again in this game, you have to feel really, really good about the direction they're going. 
because this is a much better defense than Temple, and it's probably on the level of Cincinnati, uh, just right below Notre Dame. I agree. Uh, you know, the, the thing, the key thing for, for me to see this week to, for USF to win uh, again, Steve, you mentioned it, the turnover. So you can't, you can't turn the ball. You can't put the ball on the ground, period. You can't let, you can't give this team extra possessions, especially when you're the first time you've scored over 30 points in over a year, uh, almost a year, excuse me. You need to be able to sustain drives, keep, keep that offense off the field. I think we're going to see some more aggressiveness from USF, you know, the fourth and shorts. I think that's going to be a, a key thing. Maybe Jeff Scott continues his aggressiveness instead of going for the field goals, you go for it. Uh, try to steal a possession here, you know, here, there with the, the onside kick, pooch kicks, make, make them make the mistakes and time, timely offense. And hopefully the defense gets it together. I, I think we should get Bentley Sanders back this week, which will be a huge boost uh, for the secondary, but you've got to be able to keep the ball in front of you. I I would love to see them blitz a little bit more, create some havoc, but Yosef's got to be pretty, pretty damn flawless top to bottom to to win this game for sure. What's in your favor too, is that this is not a great rushing team tempo. I think they're averaging under four yards a carry. So if you can stuff them on early rundowns and get them into longer, more obvious passing situations where it's not third and five, maybe it's third and eight, third and nine, third and 10. Then you get off the field on third downs. Obviously, I think third down every week we talk about turnovers are important and that sometimes that's luck. Sometimes you can force that, but it's not something you can depend on. Third downs are really key. If they win the third down battle, so if you kind of do, if you kind of, line them both up, offense and defense, and whoever has the better percentage is probably going to win the game. So they can win the third down battle. That's going to really help them on both sides of the ball. Yep, and Tulsa's 6 of 26 on third down this year, 1 of 4 on fourth down. Uh, So, I mean, it could be a a rock fight on third down between these two teams, uh, seeing how well um, either side have been doing it. You know, defensively, Tulsa's much better on third down, allowing opposing teams to convert under 40%, which – Man, is a is a pipe dream. It feels like for USF at this point. Who I, I want to get you guys the official number because I, I'm sure it's atrocious. Fifty two percent, yeah, and a perfect eight for eight on fourth down. I don't know if that's more incredible than the seventeen sacks that they've given up. Eight, eight on fourth. I mean, they're not. I, I wonder what the average distance is on fourth down. It's probably not very long. I feel like it's like two yards. Because hey, if you don't get in the third down, you're probably really you're probably really close to getting it. Exactly. Compared to USF, who's <laughs> four fifteen. But my God, so on third and fourth down, opposing teams have converted. If my math is right, fifty one of ninety times. Less than less that's than like, I do. Less. That's. I mean, that's pretty legit, I guess. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's like a coin flip. <laughs> it's better than a coin flip. Oh my God, that that's brutal. That is brutal. All right, everyone's favorite part of the show is the prediction time. Vito's not here. He's tied up, but I do have his prediction, so we'll start with him. Vito has decided to go 38-30 Tulsa, um, and his reasoning was, let's see, I have no clue, LOL. Let's just hope this isn't an offensive step backward and there's still forward progress. So pretty solid by him. 
Seth, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm going to go 24 to 13, Tulsa. You said 24 13? 24 13. I think Tulsa's got a really good defense. I don't know about their offense because they didn't do much against Oklahoma State, but I think Oklahoma State's really good. But again, they've only played three games, so it's it's hard to tell with those two. They've played three. Tulsa's only played two. So I don't know how good they are. They have they have explosive players, but they were bad against Oklahoma State and they started really bad against UCF. They found it, but um, so I don't, I don't know what to think about their offense. So yeah, I'll say I'll say twenty four, and then twenty four thirteen. I just think the Tulsa defense is really good. If USF is able to, you know, get three or four touchdowns, I think you got to feel really good about the direction they're headed. Yeah, and to your point of uh, you know lack of game knowledge, um, you know. UCF's beaten Georgia Tech, and then they've lost their two other games. So how good are they? How good is that win against Tulsa? Yeah, they beat ECU by like 30 points oh, too. ECU, excuse me. I, I forgot about them. Good for them. Also, I, I wish to, I wish we could be ECU. So they're what? So UCF's 2-2. Two two. Um, yeah, they're 2-2, two two, but the two up. best teams they played. Right. And uh, we all saw what happened to Georgia Tech over the weekend. I mean, dear Lord. So, I mean, we, we lost it Notre Dame bad, but like, holy shit. <laughs> was it 70, 73 to seven? That's was, that, was that the final score? Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard Dabo doesn't like uh, Jeff Collins very much or something to that effect. That's just, mean. oh man. So this is a Brian Van Gorder type of ass whooping. Well, now it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. You had a, you had a walk on quarterback throw two touchdowns, like unrelentingly in the fourth quarter. Like, it wasn't like they were letting up and being like, all right, Hunter, we're going to throw you out there and, you know, give you some nice, easy routes. They were like, they were dialing up for him. The, Double H, Hunter, yeah, Hunter Helms. The, I, think H. The, the, I read the punter also threw a pass. Mm-hmm. Both of Sweeney's kids caught passes. I mean, unrelenting. Man, we got, I, I want to verify this, this hatred of Jeff Collins, but man, if that's true. That's some Brian Van Quarter ass shit. Uh, and if you got uh, that Louisville Georgia Tech game from a couple of years ago, that that's uh, I'm a I'm a put an ass whooping on you because you're a piece of shit and I hate you. So it's going to be very interesting if there's something that comes out that Jeff Collins is uh, just public enemy number one for Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> That'd be pretty fantastic. If you had asked me like seven and a half hours ago, I would have said forty five ten USF. Like, <laughs> Just put it on them. Steve, um, is that you? <laughs> I'm going to go 20, 27, 27, 21 USF. I think, I think we, we saw what this offense is capable of. And I, th- I think they can do it again. I'm excited for it. If I'm wrong, oh, well, it wouldn't be the, the first time nor the last. So last but not least, Steve, what's your prediction, brother? Well, I said I wasn't confident earlier. That was a lie. I'm really confident. Um, I think what we saw last week out of Jordan McLeod and and getting these guys basically right in in the offense that's suited for them. Um, I I I I think we can play 55 minutes of perfect football. You know, obviously the last five minutes they're gonna you're, they're gonna call us up and say, hey hey Nate, Steve, Seth, Joey, I need you guys to come down on the field and I need you guys to suit up. We're gonna give some meaty guys some time in the last five minutes. So. You know, I think USF is going to win uh, 52 to 10. You know, I, I I don't think that 
Zach Smith is 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 gonna you know be able to dot it down the field like he has been. I think Glenn Spencer, being from Oklahoma himself, I think he's got some pent up hatred towards uh, the University of Tulsa. Uh, there might be there might be some bad blood there some way somehow. I don't know where, but he might just really hate this program and just you know dial it back, send the horses, go all at it. Fifty two to ten, USF decisively wins, and I will never let UCF fans ever forget it. Seriously, I mean, at this point, I'm just hoping for the meme ability and the roasting capability of uh, USF win over Tulsa. So um, if Tulsa could be much obliged and let this happen for the greater good. If, if we can make UCF suffer in this conference, I think everyone's better off. Truly. I think that's it real quick. Um, that's basketball started last week. Um, women's basketball has been practicing for, I think this is week two. Women's basketball is going to be hosting Mississippi State and Baylor. Uh, they're looking for their fifth non-conference game. They'll play 20 conference games, uh, four in December, and then 16 in uh, January and February. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they handle uh, fans in the stands inside the Yangling Centers. You know, I think COVID's not heading in the right direction right now. Uh, so having fans in an enclosed uh, space may not be uh, the most ideal scenario, but we'll we'll figure it out when we get there. Um, let's see. Anything else exciting happen? Oh, uh, USF uh, just cut a college on a whim last week, so that was super neat. No heads up. Seems to be a, a an issue, at least in Hillsborough County and w- within the state of Florida as well. Um, just cutting jobs kind of willy-nilly and without much heads up and then uh, sending College of Education graduates uh, donation, hitting them up for donations. I think I think the same day or the day after. So really need to keep. I mean, USF is just uh, they're really good at communicating. It's I mean, incredible, incredible, <laughs> incredible stuff. Yeah, I think that's it. Games Friday, seven thirty, ESPN. There will be fans in attendance. There will be alcohol served. If Steve gets a credential. I'm sure he'll be uh, drunk taking pictures. Um, I'm going to damn try. He's just going to post all selfies. <laughs> We're just going to see him with his camera turn around in his face with a huge lens. <laughs> like, this is when USF took the lead. Here's Johnny Ford hurtling Zayvon Collins. It's my eye. <laughs> see the reflection? <laughs> I got the Jumbotron in the background. It's fine. You didn't actually need to see it. <laughs> oh lord all right i think that's it i appreciate you guys uh listening this has been the blue night podcast with nathan steeg and seth farnador have a wonderful and safe week talk to you soon go bulls go bulls go bulls